As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to the Totally Useless Information Podcast on the Nick and Roy channel. Subscribe and share. Did you ever wonder who invented the garden hose? What did John Adams and Thomas Jefferson do that totally ticked off Shakespeare? Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Roy. And we scour the internet for information you really don't need or do you so join us this week as we talk about science a little bit of history we'll open up the mailbag a little bit of animals and some inventions too totally useless information it's everything you never needed to know by listening once a week you get smarter than you think the Totally Useless Information Podcast, hosted by Nick and Roy. And welcome once again to another episode of the Totally Useless Information Podcast. We have become scientists. Einstein was a moron. Newton was a jerk. A equals nothing. It's science, science, science. So my, my uh, science experiments this week has a lot to do, in fact, everything to do with the fact that space exploration gave us these cool things because of it. For example, mm. Nike Air trainers, those wonderful Nike shoes that has air bubbles, right? It would not exist if it weren't for suit construction developed by NASA. Former really? NASA engineer, yep, former engineer, for, former NASA engineer Marion Franklin Rudy left his career in the late 1960s to pursue a creative solutions for other industries. He was a smart guy. Among his mm. more audacious ideas, placing tiny airbags in the soles of athletic shoes to soften their impact. He pitched the airbag innovations to 23 shoe companies. All rejected them. They said, nope, not a good idea. But in 1977, he presented his vision to Phil Knight, Nike's co-founder. And he took an air cushion prototype for a test run around the Beaverton campus and returned to the office intrigued. Rudy's shoe had an unprecedented smooth ride, and Nike had found air, thanks to spatial exploration. Cool. And that's basically their whole slogan now, Nike Air, you know? Yeah. Oh, well, if you swallow now, a razor blade, now, why would people be swallowing razor blades? I have no idea. But should you ever be like shaving one day with a straight-edge razor or something and go, should I throw it out or just eat it? You know, if you should decide to do that, probably chewing it wouldn't be a good idea. But if it did get its way into your stomach, have no fear. 
our stomach acids would eat an entire razor blade up in about three hours. The acid in our system is so volatile and the pH is so low. It's like one, it's like 0.1. It's like the lowest acid that the lower the acid, the stronger it is, will actually eat up a razor blade. So have no fear. Okay. And you know, you need, you need all the iron you can get in your diet. Yeah, exactly. And three hours worth. (laughs) And you'll have the smoothest stomach there is. There is. Exactly. Shave your insides. Um, yeah. Cat scans. We've all had cat scans at some point in our medical history. NASA. My cat stares at me all the time. No, it's a cat. No, not that kind of cat. Cat scan. It was. <laughs> so NASA needed a rather good digital image to take pictures in outer space. So the hmm. Jet Propulsion Laboratory in California helped develop the technology. Today we use that very same technology in CAT scans and radiography. Cool. See, a lot of that stuff comes from the military or NASA. They come up with all these ideas, and then they go, we can make a fortune on this. (laughs) (laughs) One teaspoon of soil has more microorganisms than all the people on Earth. One teaspoon. That's bacteria, algae, insects, ants, mites, etc., all added up. It's in the trillions in one teaspoon. Pretty cool. <laughs> Just a spoonful of soil makes the E. coli go down. <laughs> and you wonder why plants grow, right? There's all kinds of crap in there. I, doesn't right. want, I don't want to eat anything. I got a tomato in my yard that I'm looking at funny now. Like, what the hell? Mm. So, so far, two of your science uh, facts have something to do with swallowing. Swallowing a razor blade and swallowing a teaspoonful of soil. All right. Yeah. Well, you know what? Maybe there's so much of that dirt around you need to pick it up with a dust buster. Ooh. Black Black and Decker was approached by NASA and was asked to develop a lightweight device to collect samples on the moon. The company went on to create the dust buster in nineteen seventy nine. Nick talks a lot about NASA because he has so much space in between his ears. (laughs) You see it. And his headphones. Okay, for years we've been told that oxygen is odorless and colorless. You know that, right, from high school? Right. Here's the problem. Because oxygen is a gas, it is odorless and colorless. But if we change it to a liquid, it is pale blue, pale light blue. So oxygen actually has a color. It's when it's liquid, it's blue. And the minute that we turn it into a gas, it becomes odorless and colorless. And depending on who you're hanging out with, if the gas becomes liquid, you turn blue. Totally useless information podcast. Thank you for joining us week after week. You know what? Let's go back. Let's go back in time. Now, since history was a big part of your high school life, Roy, why don't you go first on this one? Nick, I'm upset. There's a lot of laws. It takes a lot. (laughs) There's a lot of laws, Nick, on the books that should have stayed there. They change them. They take them off for some reason. Like, 
Remember we talked about the rule of thumb? If a stick was as thin as your thumb, you could beat your wife with it. Right. They, they took that law off. You know, I mean, that I can understand. But this one, it's just, just no good. If this law was um, in the 1600s. If a woman spoke up against or to her husband, spoke loudly to her husband and disagreed with her, the husband was allowed to use what was called the bridal muzzle. He was allowed to muzzle his wife for a period of time in which she would then understand that she couldn't speak with the muzzle, bridal muzzle on. This law was rescinded at one point, uh, you know, and I'm still trying to figure out why. I'm looking into it. I don't understand what was wrong with this. I can see it's why so, you're upset. It's yes. so hard to say with a straight face. I, listen, don't, don't keep in mind, you're really upset because of this. Go ahead. <laughs> C- contain your, well, your anger. Well, I think two things happened. They, they changed the law that made a lot of sense. And then the second thing that happened is they put an entire industry out of business, the, the bridal muzzle industry. Oh, <laughs> How do you get fitted for one of those? Um, I'll give you my <laughs> teaser. John Adams and Thomas Jefferson were best buds, very much like you and I are. Roy and I have been friends for 40-plus years, and yeah. uh, we're best buds. Until, in the case of Adams and Jefferson, political rivalry ensued. During the early stages of their friendship, the two traveled to Shakespeare's residence in England, where they chipped off a piece of one of Shakespeare's chairs as a souvenir and got the heck out of there real quick. Did they really? Yep. They chipped a piece of one of Shakespeare's chairs as a souvenir because they were so enamored by by his work. They vandalized somebody's... Yes. (laughs) That's great. That's like going, you know, I took a piece of the mummy. (laughs) <laughs> That's right. You know, talk about a chip off the old bard. Yeah, like, and what part did you get? Yeah. <laughs> Woo. Okay. Well, you know the buckle on the that pilgrim's hat. You know the buckle. Oh yeah. The pilgrims had the hats with the buckles on it, right? Sure, they did. No, they didn't. <laughs> that was actually just an artist who drew the Thanksgiving picture and uh, did a little piece of artwork, which became the famous picture of Thanksgiving. And then everybody from that point just drew them with buckles on there. It was a fashion statement that the artist put in there. It's a good thing that thongs weren't around at the time. (laughs) Few squaw running around in thongs. Yes, exactly. Of course, because the buckles were on their hats, their pants fell down. (laughs) <laughs> you don't see those pictures drawn huh that's why here in the totally useless information podcast we're here to set the record straight okay Let me tell you what actually happened even though it's useless but it actually happened imagine that <laughs> during world war one france built a fake paris okay well yeah so we know how everyone knows if you're a regular listener to the Totally useless information podcast. Roy loves the French. Oh my God, the French are the best. Oh yeah, well this is what they did. They were pretty. They might listen. They're smart. They were really smart. They they complete with a replica Champs-Élysées. They made this fake Paris built by France towards the end of World War One. 
It was built as a means of throwing off German bomber and fighter pilots that were flying over the French skies. It also even made a fake railway that lit up at certain points to provide the illusion from above that a train was moving along the track. That's crazy. Wow. Escalators. Yes. It was so frightening when they first came out that people did not want to ride them. Just to let you know, the first time escalators came out was for the London Tube, which is trains, which we were just talking about with the French. They have fake trains, but the English actually had real ones. Real trains, yes. <laughs> okay. But they invented the escalator, and the escalator would go down to the tube, which was underground, which they called the underground. So they're not too smart with names. But, but anyway, they invented the escalator. The people were so frightened they didn't want to ride it. So the company that invented it, which was called Maulin and Cochran, they hired this guy, a one-legged man. They hired him to ride the escalator up and down to prove to people that even a one-legged man could keep his balance while riding the escalator. I think that they did this as a good gesture, but they're so stupid because people probably looked and said, look, he lost his leg. <laughs> the escalator ripped his leg off. The, the bastard's got one leg. Bloody hell. <laughs> Bloody hell. Bonkers, he's lost his leg. So he had one leg. What was his name, Neil? Yeah, but his wife's name was Peg. His wife also had lost her leg, and they call her Eileen. Eileen and Neil. Do you play the lottery? Are you a, a, a fan of playing the lottery? I don't like giving my money away for no reason, Nick. Well, the earliest lottery ever was during the Chinese Han Dynasty between hmm. 205 and 187 B.C. Although it's not exactly known what the prizes were, it's hmm. believed that Chinese citizens of the era would draw kino slips, very much like one draws straws for a nominal fee. The lottery created a fund to help major government projects, including the construction of the Great Wall of China. Totally useless information. I'm Nick. And I'm Roy. And we're having fun. We're having a great time. We hope you are too as well. In fact, we're having so much fun, we've invited some of our friends like some animals. 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 Crazy animals. There's a certain kind of fish that goes deep diving. Fish swimming at depths of 15,000 yes. feet. It's about three miles down. They can withstand the pressure of 7,000 pounds per square inch. They're able to live in these crushing depths by pumping gas into their swim bladder, and therefore it protects them. And they go down how many feet? Seven, uh, 15,000 feet, almost three miles down. We would be crushed like a little That's tin right. can. So they just pump cool. gas in their swim bladder, so basically they fart. And it helps protect them. Well, they're lucky. Now gas is cheap. It's like, what, a dollar something a gallon. Do animals have little garments and GPS devices? Well, turns out they do, but they're built into them. It seems that animals use the magnetic field of the Earth as sort of a navigational system. Kind of like sailors used the compass originally, which was magnetic north, and they would use a compass to figure out where they were. They're finding out that animals not only use the magnetic north, but they use all the magnetic fields as a sort of GPS. 
How friggin' cool is that? They can find out where they're going, especially they find out that salmon will go back to their spawning grounds from thousands of miles away. They swim back and they get right to the place where they laid their eggs. That's it's amazing. Cool. It's amazing what you you always remember where you were with when it was good sex involved. Right, yeah, exactly. Now speaking of eggs <laughs> speaking of eggs and not for breakfast, it's not for breakfast anymore. Can you tell if a crocodile is a boy or a girl before they were born? Before. Oh, 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 go ahead. There's go a ahead. difference. Yeah. No, it's no. easy after. Come on. You just lift its tail and well, I tried that it. once. <laughs> Actually, it was that guy who invented the escalator. That's how he lost his leg. Whether an alligator is a male or female can be determined by the temperature of the nest where the egg is hatched. 90 to 93 degrees will make it a male. 82 to 86 degrees or cooler, it will turn into a female. That's because females are cold-hearted. <laughs> right. So so female crocodiles are cooler. <laughs> They're cool, man. Yeah, and they make nicer bags and shoes. <laughs> Here comes the male, Nick. <laughs> okay, so cats are hanging out with humans for how long? Thousands of years, Nick. Thousands. In fact... It's actually 9,500 years of recorded feline history. We know that because the bones of a cat were found lying right next to the bones of a human in a village of, get ready for this one, Shilaracamambos on the island of Cyprus. We know it was a Greek cat because it was holding a fossilized gyro. Euro? Gyro. Gyro. Uh, what was the cat's name? Peter? <laughs> the cat's name was George. <laughs> like, like every Greek. They're all named George. You want to get somebody's attention, just yell George in a Greek market. Speeding scallops. If, if scallops, if there was um, underground police, they'd be getting speeding tickets. Scallops can swim what? really fast because with jet-propelled speed, they clap their shell open and shut. They're able to do this by constricting their mantle cavity to push water through siphons, mm. allowing them to jet forward like a deflating balloon. Wow, I've seen that on a late night television show. Duh, clap <laughs> no, up. clap on, clap off. <laughs> the puffin bird. We've talked about this puffin bird. And I've never seen a puffin bird. I have no idea what I'd be looking for. But the puffing bird, who... They tend to, I believe, like marijuana. The puffing right. bird. <laughs> well, they're really smart birds. In fact, they're so smart that they take small twigs, just the right size, and they use them as back scratchers. <laughs> really? Think about this. This bird uses tools. Okay? That's a smart bird. It picks up the sticks and uses it to scratch its back because it can't reach there. How cool is that? It took humans how long to figure that out? I'm still having a problem scratching. That's right. And you know what? They do make a lot of mess. You know, the birds make a lot of mess, and you go, you puffin' bird. Totally useless information. Thank you for joining us week after week, and we thank you for all of your emails. Podcast at Outlook.com. And so because we have so many, we'd like to share them with you. What's in the mailbag? Mm. What's in the mail? What the hell's in the mail? 
Well, Jennifer from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We have uh, this week, we have a couple of new listeners from different parts of Wisconsin. So thank you. Uh, Dear Nick and Roy, we love listening to your podcast every week. You guys are funny. Our kids are often asking us what we're laughing at. Anyway, I noticed that during the opening credits in every movie that I watch, the director is usually the last credit on the screen. Why is that? It's a great question. Because, you know, you watch the, the opening credits. Usually they have all, you know, the, the stars, the names of the stars and the co-stars and, and the different producers, executive producers. And the very last credit that's shown is the director before the movie starts. This is because, and thank you, Jennifer, for the email. So the, the directed by credit is in accordance with the DGA, which is the Directors Guild of America. It's required. They must be the last credit on the main titles. It's just because of the agreement. If the credits follow the movie, no main titles, then the directed by credit must be the first credit following the end of the movie. I was going to say, at the end, it's usually so the that's first. That's right, because... Yeah. The Directors Guild of America said so, and they said, yeah, okay, sure, no problem. Thank you, Jennifer, from Milwaukee. Right. Yes. Thank you, Milwaukee. Yes, all of Milwaukee. I know Jennifer speaks for everyone in Milwaukee, so, <laughs> okay. Nolan, Nolan from Albuquerque, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Not the first listener from Albuquerque. We've had a few listeners from Albuquerque because they have nothing better to do in Albuquerque. <laughs> well, Nolan says... And people in Albuquerque, the last person that we had a message from somebody in Albuquerque, they didn't have much of a sense of humor either. But listen to Nolan. He says, he listened to the show. I listened to a show, meaning one, I guess. <laughs> okay. And want to know, what do you do? What do you two do for a living? <laughs> okay. Now, I'm going to sure. take that. <laughs> the snide, nasty comment that it was. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, Nolan, we get guys for your sister. <laughs> and we get guys. Yeah, okay. Okay. And we get girls for your brother. But whatever, because he couldn't get them. If he, no, but anyway. But so, okay. Nolan, here's the deal. Okay, first off, thanks for listening. All joking aside. And we do have other people from Albuquerque. Nick actually is involved in radio and has been for how long, Nick? 30-something years? years? Yep. Went to went to college for it, involved in production of radio shows in New York and now in Canada for a very long time. But, uh, yeah, so Nick's been in radio for, for, like we said, about 35 years. I am in Florida. I'm an entertainer, singer-songwriter now, but that's like second, third, fourth, fifth career, whatever the hell. But my main career was in the restaurant business for probably around 28 years or so. So I was in the restaurant business for a long time. But um, th that's basically our, our background. And we do this now because we love doing it and we love connecting with people. And Nolan, uh, why didn't you put down what you do? That was very interesting because he asked what we did and he didn't put down... And we know that he's not a uh, Nolan's not a creative writer because I think he used nine words. And we also know he's not in customer service, the nasty bastard that he is. <laughs> so, yeah. so I would think he's probably a a parking meter maid. <laughs> yes, we'll rip you apart, Nolan. But thank you very much for listening. What's in the mailbag? What's in the mail? 
Nobody likes meter maids. They're not called meter maids anymore. They're parking enforcement officers. Yeah, but that's okay. We can call them mermaids. Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, if you'd like to get a hold of us, podcast at outlook.com is how you can find us. And you can also find some amazing inventions. Innovation. Ideas. The Totally Useless Information Podcast presents Inventions. I like that promo. I like that promo a lot. Short and sweet. Yeah, she's like really good. The puffin bird uses a stick to scratch its back. <laughs> oh, I already said that, right? That led me to say, who patented the back scratchers? <laughs> okay. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, people who listen to podcasts and watch podcasts, I present to you the king of segues. Well... Who invented the back scratcher? It's really no, nobody knows who actually invented it because they say that probably during caveman times they were using sticks, pretty much like the puffin bird. But in 2001, a guy named Albin Chaplin patented what he called the better back scratcher, which gave a little more curve to it and gave it a little more. But he patented this back scratcher, and I couldn't find anything else other than 2001. So up until 2001, we used a back scratcher, which is called yes. a wife. <laughs> Honey, could you get the right? No, over to the left. Just stop. They start scratching, and then the itch moves. It's like it's like a moving target. No, like up to the left, down to the right, and they think mm-hmm. we're just messing with them. No, really. Thank you, dear. Down, down, down. Oh, <laughs> that's not my back. <laughs> Oh, I'm uh, sorry. Go ahead. You, who you know. invented the Robertson <laughs> screwdriver? Now you know the Robertson screwdriver. It's the uh, it's the square. This is great, folks. This is the best. Okay. No, he's a Canadian because I got the you same know? one. All right. We don't discuss. We discuss right. topics, inventions, history, so on, but we never ever tell each other what we have. Okay, so that we can react to it the way we want to, and we feel it's more fun to react and so on. But from time to time, and this is crazy, with all the stuff in the world, me and Nick, we actually find the same okay, stuff. Okay, but here's the thing. You know how they say now, this only has happened in the course of the 30-some-odd podcast, maybe four, five, six times at the most that this has happened? So they say that great minds think alike. Okay. We just proved that wrong. Right. <laughs> yes, so now go ahead. A traveling Canadian tool salesman in the early 1900s named Peter... Limburger, say it together now. Roberts. Roberts. He was demonstrating a fancy new spring loaded slotted screwdriver when the blade slipped off the screw head and cut his hand. He was inspired to come up with something mm-hmm. better. And his invention was a square socket in the screw head with a, I'm swear, it's not uh, sex, with a matching driver that fits snugly in the center and couldn't slip off to one side or cam out under a heavy torque. He invented the hex, the hexagonal, almost like the Allen key, and, and you, you just got to keep pushing it in, out, in, out, let it fit nice and smooth, in, out, in. Oh, okay, bounce, we're talking about... Wow, wow. Now, so Nick, yeah. you had that, but I had some extra that I knew that you probably didn't get because... I, it got me mad because this guy, Robinson, it was so small. It didn't have all that much about him. So then I said, okay, what is the first thing you do when you go into your toolbox? If you need a Phillips head, you can never find it. You always find the slotted head. If you need a slotted head, you never can find it. You always find the Phillips head, right? 
So then he said, who invented the Phillips head? Well, get ready. Right. He's yeah. not a Canadian. His name was Henry Phillips. And he invented it years before P.O. Robertson. I never knew that. I thought the slotted head was invented before because the slotted head didn't seem as good. But, you know, but uh, yeah. Phillips head was his name was Henry Phillips. And uh, he invented that. But then I have something else to add, Nick. <laughs> okay. The drink. Because I said, we got... <laughs> okay. It's all things screwdriver, right? So it was invented in 1944 by American pilots who founded a refreshing drink before they went up, I guess, and flew. I don't know. They were drinking vodka and orange juice and then taking passengers on a plane. Wow. So thank you. So we went from the Robertson screwdriver to the Allen key to Phillips Come on, to a think screwdriver. About this, Nick, that was a lot of information for people. I mean, it's useless as hell. Nobody needs to know this. Shit. No, not at all. Which is why we say in the beginning, it's information you really don't need. Just pour yourself a Canada Dry mm. ginger ale. Canada Dry was invented by a Canadian pharmacist. The Canadians did it again. John McLaughlin. Invented the modern-day Canada Dry version of ginger ale. McLaughlin also developed a, mes a method of mass bottling his ginger ale, leading to successful sales. Because if you could just have one bottle of ginger ale, and you know, there's just one. But if you make them en masse, mm -hmm. then a lot more people can enjoy it. Each bottle of McLaughlin Belfast-style ginger ale also featured a map of Canada and a picture of a beaver, which you mm -hmm. know is the national mm -hmm. animal of Canada. By 1907, John McLaughlin had refined his recipe by lightening, lightening the dark color and improving the sharp taste of his first ginger ale. The result was Canada Dry Pale Dry Ginger Ale, which was patented in 1922. Cool. See? That was cool. See, folks? You're going to learn something here every time you tune in. And now you're going to learn my teaser. Who invented the garden hose? I'm watering the lawn and the new flowers that we put in because of COVID. We've gardened everything possible. I think every home in the area has all new shrubbery. But we, we, we were watering, and I said, who the hell invented the hose, you know? Well, guess what? 1600s, a Dutch inventor named Jan van der Heiden. Jan van der Heiden. Say that, Nick. Jan van der Heiden. I said it to myself. I, I'm really, and my head hurts. But well, Jan said, Horny, bring over that leather patching. So he took the patches and he sewed them together into a long cylindric leather pattern and sewed them together, creating the first hose, which he then ran water through, of course. In the earlier times, they used intestines from cows to run the water through the intestine. Okay, now, folks, intestines are full of poop. So running clean, fresh drinking water through the poop hole is not a very good idea. Right? I don't think it's a great idea myself. But but this guy, Jan van der Heiden, sewed the leather things together, creating the first hose, which, by the way, they were not used for anything but putting out fires originally. Who invented peanut butter? Yes, a Canadian did. In 1884, Marcellus Gilmore Edson of Canada patented peanut. Yeah. Uh, here's the alliteration. He patented uh, peanut paste. Did he put a beaver on the label? No. The finished product from milling roasted peanuts between Ooh. two heated surfaces. 
1895, Dr. John Harvey mm. Kellogg, the creator Good. of Kellogg's cereal, patented a process for creating peanut butter from raw mm. peanuts. So between the two of them, peanut butter was born. It was designed to help people. I'm starting not to like chew. this Kellogg guy the more I learn about him, you know? He's kind of like Edison. That's right. He comes up with all the good ideas like after somebody else did him. He had spies out there. Yeah. I think so. Anyway, so we went from drinking ginger ale to peanut butter and all kinds of screwdrivers. So here's to you, Mr. Robinson. So Allen invented the Allen key. Mr. Robertson invented the Robertson screwdriver. And then the hoser. That's it for our show. Yes. It really does. It does go fast. And folks, it's every week on Thursday is a new episode. And we ask one thing of you. If you like the show, just one thing. One thing is listen with an open mind. And then when the show is over, you can close your mind back up to the world again. No, <laughs> listen. Really, all joking aside, listen to the show. If you like it, hit the subscribe button. Every Thursday, you'll get the notification that the new show is out, which is really great. It's very convenient. Exactly. And then we always have to say our little slogan, which is, "We'll see you next week." And tell a friend about the trend. That means share, folks. Share it with your friends. It helps us out. And yeah, we need all the help we yes, can. Yes, we need it. The more you share, the more we keep coming back with that more next Nick, time. I'm Nick. Won't share it. <laughs> and I'm Roy. Thanks for listening. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.